3: Good evening. If you seem to sense an aura of cold dampness that permeates this room, attribute it not to either defective air conditioning or inclement indoor weather. It's simply because this is rather a special place, with special statuary and special paintings.
5: It's the
6: Riley and Kimmy Show! The Riley and Kimmy Show!
7: And welcome to this wacky, way-back episode. Uh, A typical episode, that is, of the Riley and Kimmy Show. It's episode number 1,459. Right next to me is the wacky one... Kimmy! I
8: got one name! Kimmy! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! everybody, everybody,
3: everybody, everybody, everybody. (laughs) Hi! With a man who's the best. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things and to make a billy goat puke.
7: Yeah, that's me. They they call me Wolf Boy from time to time. At least that's what Kimmy nicknamed me after she found out how I was raised. And right next to me is... She is strange and I like it. Matter of fact, she is so strange. She makes me look normal. Welcome to this Way Back Wednesday, Kimmy. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, You don't know about what? That I'm Uh, welcoming you? No, that's fine. Okay. What are you saying? That I make you look normal or that you make me normal? I make you look normal. You sure do. And Kimmy, I know it's probably one of your favorite days. It is like the middle of the week, right? Yeah. It is Wednesday.
5: Wednesday. Such a groovy Wednesday.
7: It's a groovy way back Wednesday. Yes, and wacky. I need to add to that because we have Kimmy in the studio, the one who actually makes me look normal. I am serious on that. Just uh, just check out our uh, website with archived uh, videos and photos and you'll see what I mean. You, I'm, It's hard work to make me look normal Mm -hmm. Uh, okay if you say so I need a raise sure 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 you do Kimmy we'll put that uh, up to the board of directors of the Riley and Kimmy show and see what they say they can have a vote and maybe they'll get back to us by the next episode Hmm. possibly by 1460 should Kimmy get a raise or not that's the big question Mm-hmm. Do you want me to lobby for you and a raise, Kimmy? Would you like me to be your uh-huh. spokesperson? Yeah. Oh, I I will do the best I can. I'm sure you will. You know, I bet, I bet I can get you at least two times what you're making right now.
0: I'll bet you can.
7: <laughs> I, bet I, I bet I can at least, wait a minute. I am confident. I am so skilled. I can get you three times what you're getting right now. I wouldn't doubt that. Maybe even we could stretch it. It could possibly be four times. Who knows? I know that's getting a little greedy here, but, you know, maybe four times what you're getting right now. I could possibly do as I go to the table with the negotiations, you know, that Kimmy will walk if she doesn't get four times what she gets (laughs) right now. That's what that's the argument I'm going to go to. I'm going to say she's going to walk. She's walking. Uh She's out of here. if She doesn't get four times what she gets right now. Yeah. I I, I I have you covered, Kimmy. Yeah. I, I sure do. By the way, you can communicate with the Riley and Kimmy Show. Stay in tuned with us. Find out where we will be next and things like that by, well, being linked with us social media wise. We announce things on Facebook first and other social media platforms. You can find those links right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Also on our website. We have celebrity interviews we have done. We have videos. We have photos and all kinds of fun, nerd, pop culture related things, including all the shows, all of them from day one. All are archived there for your listening pleasure or torture or something in between. And by the way, just to make it easy going to work or from work or while you're at work or you're in class and you're bored or maybe you're under the covers and you're freezing and you want to just get away from it all. We have an easy way for you to take the Riley and Kimmy show with you anywhere. We have platforms available right on our website. We are proud to say we are part of iHeartRadio, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and others. You can find all of those on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy?
0: RileyandKimmy.com
6: Find archived podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy show at RileyandKimmy.com They play nothing but rotten junk on that program. The Riley and Kimmy Show.
7: Shall we That's the question for this Way Back Wednesday. Does Kimmy want to go back in time, way back in time, and challenge her brain cells with the thrilling days of yesteryear and some pop culture trivia? What say you, Kimmy? Yeah. All right. Why not? Okay. One thing I need to point out, the timeline may or may not be in chronological linear order. Uh, that means, you know, numbers running in series. It may or may not. It may be all wacky like I am. Feel free to shout out answers. Help Kimmy along. She believes in time travel answers. I think she's kind of crazy about this. She says it works. So yell at whatever computing device you have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on right now. And it could be anything. Because we are mobile and we are global. We are the Riley and Kimmy show. First question we have for you, Kimmy. Deals with the world of medicine. How do you feel about that, first of all? Um, Do you need two aspirins? Or are you okay? I'm okay. All right. Are, are you confident that you can maybe handle this medicine, this medical question? Mm-hmm. This does not have a high ick factor, except for Kimmy. She will react with a U or an ick or something like that. Just giving me a little warning, a Kimmy warning here. We're looking for the year within 50 years. You have a 50 plus or minus. It was on this date the first... <coughs> abdominal surgical procedure was performed. The operation was performed without anesthesia. Ouch! It's performed without anesthesia, Kimmy, and it happened in Kentucky. What year did this happen? While you think about it, you have a plus or minus of 50 years. Let's do a little wacky way-back moment. It's my turn to operate. Operate? Uh- the fingers. <laughs> it's
9: Operation the Wacky Doctor's Use Game. Battery's not included.
5: Take out his spirits for
10: $100. <laughs> oh, you'll never do that. Don't touch the side. <laughs> Here
5: goes his funny bone.
9: It takes a very steady hand.
5: I did it. That's $200 for me. May I play?
9: Operation a Milton Bradley
3: game.
7: What year, within 50 years, did the first surgery on the, you know, stomach area, when did it happen? Without it anesthesia 1820 within 50 years kimmy gets it right it was 1809 in danville kentucky this happened and they actually know who this was done on it was done on jane todd crawford that was the first uh patient okay we're going to give you a nice range here to get this one hopefully right it was on this date the clip-on tie was designed was this in the 1700s 1800s or 1900s 1900s. You're right. It was the 1920s. 1928, the clip-on tie was uh, designed and then eventually was, you know, out there. I used to know salespeople at radio stations that had to wear clip-on ties.
5: Hmm.
7: Matter of fact... One guy told me, because I went out on sales calls with him, and he goes, you you, you got to wear a clip-on tie. I said, I'm not wearing no clip-on tie. I know how to tie a tie. He goes, no, you got to wear one. And I'm like, why? He goes, because you, I sometimes make some of the clients upset, and they grab me by the tie, and that way I can get away. You know, he was kind of a Herb Tarlick kind uh-huh. of guy. And he, and he was telling the truth. Actually, you know this person. It was a mentor of mine, Kimmy, many years ago when you and I first met. Uh, he was one of the first people I introduced you to. Yes, it was my tormentor. One of my tormentors. Actually, only tormentor. There was some very good mentors. He was a tormentor. The year is 1950. This actor, who would become a huge movie star, began his career with an appearance in a Pepsi commercial. Doesn't say a darn word. A Pepsi jingle is sung all around him. He would later star in Rebel Without a Cause. Who is it? James Dean. You're right. The year is 1961. This group signs... A manager, they sign Brian Epstein. Tell me the name of the band. The Beatles. 1966. This recording artist with his band releases this single. He would perform it live up until his death. Can you tell me the name of the recording artist with his group?
5: Awesome. Back to <laughs>
7: from miami florida 1968 the live version who is that jimmy hendrix that's right what's the name of the band um and the experience yes it's from the album are you experienced and by the way they had a problem with the title now it's originally spelled f-o-x-y but when it was released in the united states they misspelled it as f-o-x-e-y somebody couldn't spell The year is nineteen seventy five. This single is released. Identify the song and then tell me who had it as a hit. Can you tell me the name of that hit? Slow ride. Slow ride. Take it easy. Slow ride. Take it easy. Slow ride. Slow ride. Who recorded that Kimmy on this date in history? Who actually had it released on this date in history? Um You're right. No. Want to take another guess? Kansas? No. Three. Let's do three here. What's the other guess, Kimmy? Um, I don't know. Fog Hat. Fog Hat. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yes, Fog Hat. 1975. You better blame uh, the people that aren't shouting out the answers I to know. you there. Yeah, yeah they're, they're failing you, Kimmy. Come on. The year is 1985. This pop star makes his U.S. TV acting debut on this TV show. Tell me the name of the TV show. It's Miami Vice. That's correct. He plays well sort of a, a nasty person. Uh, kinda of maybe misunderstood, too. Tell me who the pop star is.
8: I think I've overloaded her circuits. They're God's tears, they are, you know. Yeah. But you don't cry much though, do you? I mean you got the look of a woman and doesn't cry much. You must take me for a right wanker, son.
7: Can you tell me who it is? Phil Collins. <laughs> Yes, and his music had been in Miami Vice prior to his face being in Miami Vice. The year is what we're looking for. We will give you a plus or minus of two years, Kimmy, plus or minus of two years, for it is movie question time. Identify this movie and tell us who the stars were, the two stars It would win Best Picture the following, well, going into the next year. So we're looking for the year within two years, and the name, and also the stars. Here is your audio clue. Listen carefully.
1: My mother's a little high-strung. The fact is, you'd be working for me. She can say anything she likes, but she can't fire you.
8: I don't need you. I don't want you. And I don't like you saying I'm rich.
6: What are you doing? I'm trying to drive you to the store. You're speeding, I can see it. We're only doing about 19 miles an hour. I like to go under the speed limit. But speed limit's 35, yeah. I just love a house of fishes. I don't want you
8: nosing through my thing. You took the wrong turn at old polite. Well
6: now, you took it with me, and you got the man. They wouldn't give in. Well, I'll help you to the door.
8: Thank you, Hulk. I can
6: help myself. I ain't just some back of the net you look at while you going wherever you got to go. I'm a man.
7: Can you identify that film? Driving Miss Daisy. That's right. You got it right. Now, can you tell me the year within two that it premiered?
0: 1989?
7: Get it exactly. I mean, you're right there. Ooh. You're exactly right. I don't know if somebody helped you there or you yeah. just remember that. Tell me the two stars.
0: Um, that
7: would be Morgan Freeman. Yes. Who played Miss Daisy or who played Miss Daisy's son since we asked for two. All we're asking oh. for is two stars. I don't know. Her son was played by Dan Aykroyd. Oh. That was Danny Aykroyd. You heard at the first part of the clip. Hiring a driver for Mama. And who played Mama? I don't know. Jessica Tandy.
0: Oh, I was gonna say that, and then I thought, I thought too long about it.
7: It would win Best Picture, 1990. Have you seen it in theaters or on TV or DVD? Actually, I've never seen it. Okay, so I won't ask any more questions about. I don't even know how you got that then, because you know Miss Daisy was edited was, out of the trailer.
0: It was an Oscar winner, wasn't it?
7: It won Best Picture, 1990. So...
0: Yeah, so of course I know about it. Okay, I didn't see it. But All right. I, I didn't about know it.
7: I didn't know maybe it was a date movie or, and uh, no, I, I, you know, di- you know, I, I didn't know maybe it was a date movie for you. You know, you know, when when you least met me, I took you some really standout date movies. Yes, boy, you did. I, I, I mean, we're talking standout date movies.
0: Mm-hmm. None
7: of this driving Miss Daisy stuff. No, right, no. The year is nineteen ninety four. This person performs the song Dolphin on the David Letterman Show. Tell me who the recording artist is. Boy, I wish this was a video with that look on your face, Kimmy. Can you tell me who that is? He liked a certain color a lot. He was from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, Prince. There he goes.
4: The artist formerly known as Prince. And I understand he does that same thing on the Kathy Lee Gifford Christmas special. Oh. <laughs> is he all right, Paul? I'm sure he is. Are you sure
3: he's all right? I'm sure because he is. Because he was carried off stage. Well. He's all right. This,
7: take it from me. <laughs> He's okay. Yeah, he actually collapsed. It's part of the act. Oh, they, you know, and he was carried off the stage. That is Prince's appearance, 1994, on the David Letterman show. The year is 2001. Give me this movie directed by. Well, that's what we're going to ask you. Who directed the film, and who was the star? It premieres in Los Angeles. It would win Best Picture 2002. Tell us who's the director and who is the star.
1: Welcome to Princeton. Who among you will be the next Einstein?
7: i a truly original idea, and it's the only way I will ever distinguish myself. It is the only way I will ever matter.
3: This flies to the face of 150
1: years of theory. Congratulations, John. It's the achievement of a lifetime.
8: I'm wondering, Professor Nash, if I can ask you to dinner. You do eat, don't you? How big is the
3: universe? Infinite.
5: I don't. I just believe it. The
0: same with love, I
5: guess.
3: Perhaps it is good to have a beautiful
5: mind, but an even greater gift is to discover a beautiful heart. A beautiful mind.
7: What year? uh well i already said that 2001 who was the director of a beautiful mind kimmy the director the director and who is the star The
0: star is russell crowe yes
7: with jennifer connolly as the love interest and who is the director ron howard yes have you ever seen a beautiful mind yes we have no i've never seen a beautiful mind you saw it with somebody else it wasn't me oh
0: no you and i went to the theater no
7: i have never seen that movie Oh, yes, we no, have. No, I've never seen that movie. I've, I've never seen it. Why, why don't I remember that movie, Kimmy? Mean, I've never seen that movie. Are you sure? Did I, like, leave you for a little while, then come back as it started to end? <laughs> you know, had I taken... Well, you
0: were in the bathroom for a while.
7: How do you know it was a bathroom?
0: Well, that's true.
7: Yeah. I, I was probably in some other theater for a little bit. <laughs> I've never done that. No, not at all. The year is 2013. This person's fifth studio album is released it is well titled her name tell me who it is here's one of the tracks from that album off in
5: Drunk in
8: love, we be all-
7: it was a big hit Number one on the U.S. hot R&B hip-hop songs charts for Billboard. Number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It's Drunk in Love from whose album, Kimmy? Beyoncé. And that's the album, Beyoncé, her fifth album. Mm -hmm. Celebrity and notable birthdays. This person born on this date, actor, comedian, Kimmy was in the movie bye bye birdie 1963 a movie actually sort of based on two people conway twitty and elvis have you ever seen that movie no and by the way elvis was offered the role but uh his manager said you're not going to do that because it's kind of uh poking fun at you he was in mary poppins he was in Chitty Chitty bang bang and he had a tv show very popular tv show with his name in the 1960s tell me who it is having a birthday today kimmy dick van dyke that's correct how old is dick van dyke today within five years 93 dick van dyke is 92 today what was the name of the tv show he was on from 1993 to 2001 where he played a doctor and a detective combined um his son would be on it with him um and Scott Baio was a part of it too for oh, some okay. of the some of the episodes. Oh,
0: I get those confused. It's not Murder She Wrote, of course. It's not Maverick.
7: It's Maverick. Uh, it's not. I think she meant Matlock.
0: Matlock. No, yeah, yeah. Maverick. Uh, I don't know. And 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 it's gotta be um um.
7: It plays around when where whoever runs Murder uh, She Wrote runs this usually.
0: <laughs> right. And they
7: actually run. What's funny is MeTV genre. Me TV runs. Matlock and this during the weekdays. Piggyback uh, it. It's I Diagnosis can't. Murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. And speaking of me TV, you can check out a classic Columbo episode they run from time to time. He played a killer. He was a well, a famous photographer who makes a mistake with the camera and gets caught by Columbo. And the Mm. two of them together is quite interesting. Now, there's also another thing why it's interesting. I'm not sure where he was in his drinking phase when this was made. I'd have to go back and see where he comes out publicly about his alcohol problem. Because on Dick Cavett, one of his uh, interviews was with uh, Dick Van Dyke where he talks about alcoholism and how, you know, he had been drinking on the set on some things. Mm. So I don't know if Columbo is one of those or not. You know, that time period. Hmm. If it is, he did a fantastic job.
0: Does he have an autobiography? He would be a good one to write a
7: book. Actually, I think maybe his brother would be better if his brother was writing about his brother. Oh, yeah. Because I think biographies are better than autobiographies because sometimes True. autobiographies are a little censored, sanitized. Yeah. You know, and, you know, maybe the brother would, you know, have it a little more spicy and, you know, whatnot, right? hmm But regardless, I love Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. See if you can tell me who this actor is, Kimmy. We have an audio clue for you. But before we get to that, we'll run down some of the films. There's no way we can list all of them. It would take too long. And tons of stage work. He's celebrating his birthday today. Quick clue, though. Last month, it was announced he was cast to replace Kevin Spacey in the already completed Ridley Scott film, All the Money in the World. He is one of the reshooting... They're getting rid of Kevin Spacey out of that film. They selected him. He's known for playing a Klingon in 1991, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. He was in the 1995 Dolores Claiborne. Can you tell me who he is?
1: Tickle us, do we not laugh? Trick us, do we not bleed? Wrong us,
4: shall we not revenge? Our rebels now are ended, Kirk.
6: Cry havoc! And let's slip the dogs of war. I am constant as the northern star. To be or not to be. I'm John Mackey,
3: detective,
4: Main State Police. Could you please call uh, Constable Stanshaw him Come right up. We've met before, Mr. John. <laughs> you were about 13.
11: What year was that? The Eclipse. Uh, Must have been what, 75? I was the investigator. When your father died,
4: we met at the hearing. Miss St. George is here.
7: He was also in The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo in 2011. Can you tell me who it is? Who's having a birthday today?
0: Well, I should be able to, but um, (gasps) I
7: can't. Christopher Plummer. Oh, yes. Celebrating today, number 88. Wow. And he replaces Kevin Spacey. Wow. That's a big wow. Mm-hmm. Check, out, check him out in Star Trek if you've never seen him in Star Trek, the, that movie, because they were going to put him under a lot of Klingon makeup as, you know, the Klingons were looking at the time, and he said, look, I can be a Klingon without much makeup. And they're like, no, you can't. He did a test thing. They're like, yeah, he doesn't need much makeup. So, <laughs> so like yeah, 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 he's a Klingon. We buy it. Doesn't have all the, you know, yeah. He he did it. He pulled it off. Next person singer, actor, game show host, Kimmy. He also appeared on Carson as a guest quite a few times. And he was the game show host. He would take over for Hollywood Squares. And he was part of a show back. Well, it was actually a competitor to real people. It was called That's Incredible. Tell me who it is. We have two audio clues if you need them.
4: Thank you, everybody. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Ed. New Year's resolutions. It is now January uh, 4th. And if you have not yet made your New Year's resolution, grab one from this song. Rudyard Kipling, Bakersfield boy, wrote this song, this poem, years ago, 100 years ago. If you can't find a New Year's resolution in this song, and you're just not listening.
7: Who is it, Kimmy? John Davidson. That is that is freaky. How did you know that? I don't know. Uh, John Davidson is how old, Kimmy? Seventy-eight? He's 76. And known for being I, I would say Mr. Warm and Fuzzy, Mr. Correct. Well, he had a TV show that didn't last very long. It was like the John Davidson show. Matter of fact, is what it was called. And he was a little bit more frisky on that show. Not as sanitized definitely by today's standards. Some people would frown. A little slight uh, example here, going back in time. This
4: cute little... Thing sitting here. What's your name? Georgine. Georgine, you've been sitting here all through the show, and I've been watching. Now, you're, you've got to pull this dress down. I've got to look at you. You know, have lovely legs, and you're sitting there, but the dress is too high. How can I concentrate on my numbers?
5: I don't
4: know. You don't care, do you? You like it. Stand up here for a second. Help me with something. On, on a show, one of the first jobs, Georgine, is to introduce a guest. You have to do that. Can I have that cue card? Do you have it there? Our NBC page, Terry. This is what I have... Thank you, Carrie. This is what I have to do. Ladies and gentlemen, two terrific people who also happen to be superstars in the music business. It's very simple, Captain and Tennille. Uh-huh. Could you read that for me? Yes. Okay, I'll stand back here and hold okay. it. Okay. Okay, go right here. <laughs> hey, <just> right here. <laughs> hey, just wait. They, you want to excite these people. This is the intro to and Captain and Tennille. <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> you got a short dress. I'll do the jokes, Georgene. You just want to read the card? All right. Give her,
6: give her a drum roll, Annie.
7: Yes, that's... The birthday person, John Davidson, celebrating today. Next person, musician, Kimmy. Outdoorsman, too. Tell me how old he is once you figure out who it is. You have a plus or minus of five years. We have a sample of his music. Number 30, top 40 hit from 1977. Tell me who's celebrating a birthday. Who's having a birthday today, Kimmy?
0: Oh, boy. He was on Miami Vice,
7: too. Yes. he. Uh, that's very good. He played a villain. Uh, mm-hmm. Tries to uh, bury uh, Sonny Crockett in Like the Sand.
0: Yeah. Oh, And Sonny, Crockett,
7: Sonny Crockett had a bulletproof uh, attache case to stop him from getting killed. He used it like a shield. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that oh. one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Tell Ooh. me his initials. TN. Oh, my gosh. Kimmy. I know. You know he used to hang out at a certain broadcast I property know. I was part of.
0: I know. I know who this is. Yes, you do. Todd.
7: No. 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 Kimmy, I didn't realize oh, this was going to be a stumper. Shout out the answer. Please help her. Oh, my God. Well, we have to move on, Kimmy. It is Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent. I knew that. Yeah, sure you did. It's Ted Nugent, how old is he within five years? Seventy. 70- He is 69. Next person best known for, well, appearing on this show. He was a star on this show. Tell me the name of the TV show. Can you identify that TV show? Family Affair. That's right. He played one of the little kids on Family Affair. Tell me his name.
8: Who's he? He's the maid. <laughs> Do you like kids? I don't think so. <laughs> Could he run fast? No. <laughs> okay, <I'll> ask <stay. laughs> me. I'm glad that none of the 63rd Street daredevil saw me singing. That's what I'm glad of. Can
7: you tell me who played Jody Davis on Family Affair from 1966 to 1971? Then he would go on to a certain Saturday morning kid show. And, of course, do a lot of Disney movies and things like that. I know that, too. Well, think about it here, Kimmy. We'll do a little Way Back Wednesday moment.
8: Yeah, you would say- a very scary tale about two boys who were surfing one day On a very weird beach round Dead Man's Point Where there are haunted sea caves, they say And strange sea monsters have been sighted there If you're traveling in the area, beware, 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 beware. Sigmund, you're a rotten sea monster You're a disgrace to the family Go out and scare a human or get through A lot, a lot. Meanwhile, back on the beach, Johnny and Scott are combing the rocks, unaware that behind them, Sigma Alerts prepared to give them a shot. Boo! In total surprise, the boy's eye, this blob, what can it be? And then it groans and moves and lo, it's a monster from the sea Now Sigmund, the sea monster, and Johnny and Scott are friends The finest friends that ever could be on the land or on the sea Now Sigmund, the sea monster, and Johnny and Scott are friends The finest friends that ever could be on the land or on the sea
7: 1973 he was in sigmund and the sea monsters matter of fact when i met him a number of years ago in orlando florida he had like some sigmund and the sea monster beanie baby kind of things with him and scaring people with them. actually the little kids were quite frightened very nice guy though mm-hmm. kimmy wouldn't meet him with me can you tell me who he is i know who that is too and i can't think you cannot th- you, you can't think
0: that's That's it's usual. like my brain is... That's normal. Like, closed down.
7: Uh, she's not listening. Closed for business. She's not listening. It's Johnny Whitaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Whitaker having a birthday today. How old is he? Within five years. Now, you met him, so put two and two together when you met him. Maybe you forgot how old he is. 62.
0: Um,
7: Johnny Whitaker celebrating his 58th birthday. Moving to another person on the birthday list. Comedian who turned to Actor. He played Ray Charles in the biopic. And he also played a villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He played Electro. You want to know how powerful I am? Well, so
2: do I. (laughs) But you better make damn sure you kill me this
9: time. Because if you don't, I'm going to kill the light. So everyone in this city is going to know how it feels to live in my world. A world without
5: power. A world without mercy.
7: Who's celebrating birthday today, Kimmy? Jamie Foxx. Yes, how old is he within five years? Um 49. He is 50 today. Next person, singer, songwriter. Tell me how old she is once you identify who it is. Here's your clue. Oh, look what you made
5: me
0: do. Look what you, made me, look what you made me do. Look what you just made
7: me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. Can you tell me who that is? Taylor Swift and how old is Taylor Swift today within one year 27 Taylor Swift is 28 today I see dead people It's time for notable and celebrity deaths first person you would have no clue who it is part of Forgotten Hollywood that's a list I have our title Forgotten Hollywood it is Heather Angel who passed away on this date in 1986 she was an actress she died at the age of 77. She has a motion picture star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for her contributions to the film industry. And there's a lot of films, especially in the 40s and 50s. She was in the the Hitchcock film from 1947 called Lifeboat. That is Heather Angel. Next person. Passed away. 2016. A singer who became an actor, Kimmy, and a host of a talk show. See if you can tell me who he is. We have an audio clue here for you. The TV show that, uh, well, he was on for seven seasons. It was a sitcom on ABC. Identify the TV show. Hey, show was broadcast from 1985 to 1992. What is the name of the show? Growing Pains. Ooh, she got it. Now, before he starred on Growing Pains as the dad, he had his own talk show that ran just for one season. It was syndicated, was not on networks, so you may or may not be aware of it, depending on if they played it where you were at, and, you know, up in the tundra, Kimmy. For a way back Wednesday, here's just a few moments of that Talk show, and then you can tell me who he is if you figured it out. Going back in time, he interviews Stan Lee. a hey, uh, with us tonight
3: who, who revolutionized comic books back in the '60s with the creation of a number of superheroes: Spider-Man, Daredevil, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk. He's the man responsible for Marvel Comics. You've seen these on the stands. This is Stan Lee. What do they mean when they say comic book revolution? Well, I don't know what they mean, but to us, we mean the Marvel comic books, mm-hmm. which we like to think uh, were started a new style in comics, more realistic. If yeah. you can imagine fantasy superheroes being realistic, that's the gimmick. Yes. Well, I can't, but the pictures are uh, spectacular, and your own role in this was to create the characters themselves and, and even draw them. I No. I, I created a lot of them, and I was the head writer, the art director, and the editor. Then a few years later, uh, they made me the publisher so i stopped writing them now the only comic book writing i do is the spider-man newspaper strip which is around the world mm-hmm. and i'm out here hoping to put these and other properties into movies and television shows well let's uh, take a look at the spider-man cover and uh, there you see spider-man with uh, what appears to be a regular girl but uh She's been yes. She is not in good condition. Her hair is in bed. So this yeah. is something that our children are reading. Stan. Uh, well, you're you're um, making me feel incredibly comfortable. Out no, there. I don't mean to. <laughs> I don't mean to do that at all. But I know you'll have. You have great justification for the fantasy in these comics. Actually, if people don't get hurt and aren't in trouble and mm-hmm. aren't menaced in these stories, yes. you're not going to get anybody to read them. Right. Just like in the adventure movies, if somebody isn't being killed or chased or in a car crash, mm-hmm. nobody is going to go to see them. And the truth is your people are saving them and coming to the rescue. It's magnificent. Showing goodness and virtue. Oh, sure. It's the only thing in comics.
7: We have the entire... Interview available right on our website at RileyAndKimmy.com. It's rather interesting. Can you tell me, who is interviewing Stan Lee? Who was on Growing Pains? Who is it? Alan Thicke. That's correct. He passed away on this date just one year ago. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job with trivia today. Thank you very much. Yes, we're going to go back in time to the thrilling days of yesteryear and honor something we talked about With trivia with a golden age of radio.
5: Radio Radio.
7: And that's the Riley and Kimmy show. We mentioned just a little bit ago that Heather Angel passed away on this date in 1986. She died at the age of 77. She was no stranger to the golden age of radio. We have two examples of her work. Fantastic examples, and they are different. One of them is a, well, thriller, you know, suspenseful kind of episode, and the other one is more of a lighthearted drama. The first one is called Mr. Markham Antique Dealer from 1943. That's the the mystery thriller one, followed by The Necklace from 1948, and she is co-starring with... Hans Conried, who you will recognize if you're a fan of cartoons of the 60s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, and also television, the golden age of TV, like in the 1950s through 1960s. Hans Conrad did a lot of work during that time period. Fantastic voice, two of them together. It's just, it's golden radio. Yeah, it's golden age of radio. Let's kick things off from 1943. This is Mr. Markham Antique Dealer, our tribute to Heather Angel. On the Riley and Kimmy Show.
6: A here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our starring Hollywood cast this evening is Mr. Paul Lucas, and with him are Miss Heather Angel and Mr. Bramwell Fletcher, a story by John Dixon Carr, dealing with strange, very strange happenings in a London curio shop, and called Mr. Markham Antique Dealer, is tonight's tale of suspense. And so, with the performances of Heather Angel... Ramwell Fletcher, Paul Lucas as Mr. Markham, antique dealer, we again hope to keep you in suspense.
9: This is the story of a man who commits murder and gets away with it. Does the idea shock you? Do you believe that justice must always be done? but let's be honest with ourselves. You and I needn't be cynics to know that justice is very seldom done. Innocence flinches. Guilt is childlike and bland. Innocence is imposed upon. Guilt can encompass all things, even a successful murder. And I know this because I was the murderer, you say? (laughs) Oh, no. Inquire at Scotland Yard. I was the victim. In Barn Street, not far from Piccadilly, there used to be an establishment, which, in a less fashionable part of town, would have been called a shop. Under windows, in letters as discreet as a visiting card, were the words, Charles Markham, antique dealer. Such a delightful fellow, Markham. Such a character. Thirty years ago, yes, as long as that, this antique shop was a dingy place, despite deep carpets and crystal chandeliers. It rustled with the ticking of a hundred clocks. It was shadowed by damascened armor and the loom of tall tapestries. And late one summer night, when the shutters were long closed on those windows, a four wheeler drew up before the door in the gas lit street.
10: That's all, Cabby. You needn't wait. Very good, miss. Good night. Good night. He must be here. He must be... I won't go back to that place. I'll kill myself first.
9: Oh, look here, old man. You needn't to... Oh, I beg your pardon.
10: And I beg yours. I'm, I'm not the person you were expecting, am I?
9: No, madam. As a matter of fact, I was expecting a police officer.
10: A police officer?
9: Oh, merely an old friend who often drops in for a talk and a drink.
10: You are Mr. Markham, aren't you?
9: Yes, my name is Markham. Can I be of any service to you?
10: I want to come in. I I, uh, I want to buy a present for somebody. Now,
9: really, madam, this is hardly the time.
10: Yes, I, I know it's late, but... It's
9: nearly one o'clock, madam. Surely tomorrow morning will be...
10: That'll be too late. This is a special occasion. It's it's uh, a birthday present. That's it, a birthday present. I've got to deliver it before breakfast. And uh, Sir George Lytle says this is the only place in London to buy antiques.
9: Oh, Sir George flatters me.
10: Won't you let me come in? Just for five minutes.
9: Well, under the circumstances, madam, I think it might be managed. Now, one moment while I put some lights on.
10: No, please. That one little light will be enough.
9: But you won't be able to see anything.
10: That doesn't matter. I'll trust to your judgment.
9: Just as you like. This way, madam.
10: What's that? That noise?
9: Oh, you mean the clocks, madam? (laughs) There are more than a hundred clocks in this room. I'm very fond of them.
10: Don't they get on your nerves? Ticking away together like a nightmare? Striking the hours together?
9: They don't strike together, madam. When the hour approaches, you will hear a musical din that lasts for some time. Might I interest you perhaps in a clock? No. I hate them. (laughs) Now, all the same, this grandfather clock might amuse you. What about it? Observe the signature. Johannes Gucarver, Londini, Facet A.D., 1752. Uh, You could see better, madam, if you raise that veil.
10: I'll keep my veil down, thanks.
9: Uh, Just as you please. But look at the clock. I open the glass face like this. Then I push the second hand forward like this, and...
5: Voice.
9: Only the clock, madam. Nothing more.
10: The clock spoke.
9: <laughs> Clever, isn't it? The device of old John Carver. Anticipating Mr. Edison's gramophone by more than a hundred years. Oh, but you don't like clocks. No. Uh, may I ask whether the present is for a lady or a gentleman?
10: It's uh, for a man.
9: Oh, has he some knowledge of antiques? Yes.
10: Yeah, uh, I mean...
9: Uh, furniture, perhaps. Porcelain, bronzes, tapestries, weapons...
10: He might be very much interested in weapons. Uh, Then I
9: imagine his name is Mr. Ronald Gilbert. Now, will you tell me, Miss Ray, why you really came here tonight?
10: So you know who I am.
9: Naturally. You are Miss Judith Ray. And why did you come here?
10: I wanted to see what sort of a man you actually were.
9: Oh, and have you found out?
10: No, but... But I won't go back to prison. I won't.
9: As you will. But since it's to be a business conference miss ray and i imagine it is yes well then suppose we go into my office here at the back of the shop will you proceed me thank you oh you must excuse the dust covers i've put on the chairs here i'm leaving for a holiday tomorrow and the shop will be closed then i return next week miss ray i shall expect the amount requested in cash of course
10: but i can't raise two thousand pounds you ought to know that
9: your fiance could raise the money i imagine
10: Ron? Do you think I'd have Ron know where I've been? Or what I've been? It's
9: better than having his father learn it, surely. Now, sit down, Miss Ray.
10: I'd rather stand, thank you.
9: (laughs) Now, that's a very foolish gesture. But the ladies will do it. They think it gives them dignity and shows the disdain of the poor blackmailer. You see, I make no bones about it. I am a blackmailer.
10: You seem rather proud of yourself.
9: Why not? I am the one person in England, perhaps in the world, who has made it a large-scale business.
10: Congratulations.
9: (laughs) And what is all life but blackmail? The child says, if you don't give me that, I'll scream. The grown woman says, if you go on behaving like this, I will leave you. Your sex, Miss Ray, are blackmailers from the cradle.
10: You know, Charles Markham, I wonder... Yes? I wonder if anybody's ever hurt you very much.
9: Hurt me? What do you mean?
10: When you talk about the world and people in general. Your face goes white under the eyes. You pick up that letter opener from the desk.
9: Not a letter opener, please, Miss Ray. A Medici dagger. 16th century work.
10: It isn't the money that really interests you.
9: I don't understand.
10: You hate the world. You just want to torture people as you think you've been tortured. Isn't that so?
9: This is a very sharp dagger, Miss Ray. If I throw it down on the desk, it sticks like that.
10: Isn't it so, Charles Markham?
9: My motives, Miss Ray, aren't in question. I wonder. Whereas your motives are. Now, let me see. Ten years ago, in 1903, a certain girl called Letty Wilson, your real name, I believe, fell in love with a rather contemptible underworld character named Arthur Ackerman. Please. No humiliation was too great for her. She worked for him, lied for him, stole for him.
10: I was only 18. I didn't know what I was doing. This
9: girl, for a very shabby theft, was sentenced to three years' hard labor at Holloway Prison. Five months later, she escapes from prison and disappears. All these years afterwards, she appears in the West End as Miss Judith Ray, fashionable milliner. Haven't
10: I made up for it? Haven't I? No. For one mistake. After ten years... It's the
9: way of the world, my dear. I didn't create it. And I'm forgetting the best part of the comedy. This paragon of virtue next falls in love with Mr. Ronald Gilbert, son of Major General Sir Edmund Gilbert. Such a respectable family, too. Stop it, please! Then, shall we say... Two thousand pounds.
10: Suppose I did raise the money. I don't know how, but suppose I did raise it. Well? What guarantee would I have that you wouldn't ask for still more money?
9: I probably shall ask for more money, Miss Ray. Well, that's my privilege as a blackmailer.
10: Then, and I'm never going to be free of you. Is that it?
9: Well, frankly, that's it.
10: Ah, unless I kill you, of course. What if I did kill you?
9: <laughs> People have threatened it before. But they haven't meant it.
10: Maybe I mean it.
9: Well, we can easily test you out. There's a sharp knife stuck in the desk in front of you. I'm going to get up and deliberately turn my back on you. Like this.
10: Be careful, Charles Markham.
9: As a student of human nature, I'm curious. How much will you risk to keep this secret? Have you the courage to kill and risk hanging?
10: Yes. I think I have. (laughs) What was that?
9: Now, aren't you glad you held back at the last moment, Miss Ray?
10: I said, what was that?
9: That, my dear, was the front doorbell. Probably my friend, Inspector Ross, from Bigmore Street Police Station. Come in, old man. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. I'll be with you in a moment.
10: You wanted me to attack you, didn't you?
9: No, I was merely curious. And in any case, Miss Ray, it would be useless to kill me.
10: Useless? Why?
9: Because I shouldn't die. Don't talk, Rot. Oh, it's quite true. A man in my position must take uh, certain precautions. If you killed me, I should be back to haunt you within half an hour. And I don't happen to be joking.
2: Come in. Now, look here, Martha. I...
9: Good Lord,
2: Judith. Ron.
9: Mr. Ronald Gilbert, as I live.
10: Ron, what are you doing here? He hasn't got anything against you, has he?
9: Speak up, Mr. Gilbert. Have I? The fact is, Judith, I... I. (laughs) Look at him, Miss Ray. See how he changes color and twists his mustache and altogether resembles a boy caught in
2: his mother's gem cupboard. Perfect picture of a gentleman being a gentleman. Look here, Markham. I'm not very clever. You can always make a fool of me when you start talking. So let's stop talking. I've brought the money.
10: What money? Oh, merely
9: my fee for keeping quiet about you.
10: So you went to Ron too. You told him about it.
2: Naturally. If possible, always sell you wares in two markets. How much money? Never mind, Judith. I hoped I could do this without your knowing. How much money? Three thousand. It's all I could raise.
10: Has he... has he told you who I am
2: and what I've been? Look here, Judith. Who the devil cares who you are or what you've been? I happen to be in love with you. I... Never mind. Let's get out of here.
10: Ron, it's no good. He'll only come back for more money.
2: I know that, but what else can we do? Nothing, I'm afraid. Well, what's that knife doing there stuck in the desk?
9: Nothing dangerous, I assure you. No? Merely a curio. I pick it up like this, I flip it down like this. And pick it up again. Miss Ray was very much interested in the dagger. Now, may I have that envelope with the money, please? There you are. Take it. Thank you. As I explained to Miss Ray, I'm leaving tomorrow for a holiday. Hence the general disarray and the dust covers on the chairs... But before my departure, I'm glad we could settle this affair, as you would say, like gentlemen.
2: Before we clear out of here, Markham, there's just one favor I'd like to ask. Well, of course, old men, ask away. This is your job, I suppose. You can't help being what you are, but never again, as long as you live... Well? Never even say the word, gentleman.
10: Be careful, Ron. Look at his face.
2: Tell me, Mr. Gilbert,
9: how much money is in this envelope? You heard what I said, 3,000 pounds. Then take it back, my friend. I find we can't strike a bargain after all. What do you mean? Just what I say. Here is your money. You will now oblige me, both you and Miss Ray, by leaving my shop. But what are you going to do? Tomorrow morning, perhaps even tonight, I'm going to get in touch with the police. And I shall tell them where they can find Letty Wilson, alias Judith Ray. You can't do that, Markham. Oh,
10: yes, he can. you hit him where it hurts.
9: Three thousand pounds, my friend, is not enough compensation for the way you talk. There is a way through the shop. Shall I escort you to the front door? No. Oh, so you prefer to stay here and make a fool of yourself? You're not going
2: to tell the police, Markham. I promise you that. And how are you going to stop me? With this. Run! Put that gun away. It's a funny thing, Judith. I felt a bit of a fool, you know, bringing this revolver along. But now I've got a use for it. Oh, yes, I've got a use for it.
9: Maybe the best thing would be to go into the street now and call a policeman. You'll never get into the street, Martin. Are you following me into the shop? Yes. So both of you, it appears, came here under false pretenses. You said you wanted to pay me
2: some money. The money's still here, but you've lost your chance to get it. And
9: your dear Judith said she wanted to buy a present for you. I showed her this grandfather clock here, this talking clock. Don't go a step beyond that clock, Markham. I warn you. Nonsense, old man. You wouldn't dare shoot. Wouldn't I? No. And I'll call you block. One step. Two steps. Ah! I know you whole silly pride, my friend.
2: You wouldn't risk it. No, you wouldn't.
9: What's happening to me?
2: Don't try and grab out of the clock, Markham. It won't save you. You wouldn't risk your life, you... You wouldn't risk your family position, you You wouldn't. One-fifteen, and all's well. One-fifteen,
5: and all's well.
2: I had to do it, Judy. Don't you see? I had to do it. Did you? Is he? Oh, yes. Yes, he's done for. I tell you, I had to do it.
10: Shh, keep your voice down. Why? That shot sounded like the crack of doom. I wonder if anybody in the street heard it.
2: You mean the police?
10: Yes, Ron. What in heaven's name are we going to do?
2: Steady, steady. We'll find a way out.
10: Maybe he's not dead, Ron. Go and look at him. He's dead, all right. Please, Ron. Go and look at him.
2: Well? Shot through the heart. The bullet went clean through him and smashed the face of the grandfather clock. That's all I can see in this dim light. This isn't happening to us. It can't be happening. I've got to think, but it's hard to think. You see, Judith, I'm not in a rage any longer. I'm just numb and, and a little bit scared.
10: You're not going to give yourself up.
2: And have this whole thing made public? Not likely.
10: Wait a minute. There may be a way out. What way? He said he was going for a holiday. Remember?
2: Well, suppose he did.
10: That gives us time. It means his absence won't be noticed. The shop will be closed. Nobody will come here for days. And certainly nobody will come here tonight. And... What's that? police officer. I forgot the police officer. What police officer? A friend of Markham's. Inspector somebody or other from Wigmore Street. He's inspected here tonight.
2: Then then we're finished.
10: No, Ronnie. We're not finished. He can't see anything out there. The shutters are down and the door's covered. Could you... Could you pick Markham up and carry him?
2: Yes, yes, I could. Why?
10: There must be a back way out of the shop. Probably in the office.
2: Hurry, Ron. I, I don't like to touch him. Hurry, Ron, please. He's he's as heavy as a sack of meal. He seems to be looking straight at me.
10: I know. Everything here seems to have eyes and move a little in the shadow. Didn't you see the expression in Markham's eyes just before you...
2: No, no, I I didn't. He
10: seemed to be looking behind us or beyond us. I don't know how to describe it. And he said something, too, that scared me. He said he couldn't die. He said...
2: Close the door, quick. This police officer, Judith, he can't get into the shop, can he?
10: Of course he can. The front door isn't locked.
2: That's true. What's wrong with me, Judith? I came in that way myself.
10: And there's no time to lock the front door now. Our only hope is through the back way. I thought I'd seen a back door and... Ah, there it is. Just a
2: minute. I've, I've killed a man. That means I'm a murderer. A fraction of a second. One tick of a clock in there. And you change from an ordinary happy person into... into what I... Well, Judith, well...
10: I'm sorry, Von.
2: The door's locked. Isn't there a key? No. Maybe in his pockets on a key ring.
10: There isn't time, Ron. I think I... I heard the front door open. Our visitor's coming in.
2: I've got it. The dust covers. What? Those white cloths. That, that cover that fit over the chairs. Look at them. What on earth are you talking about? We used to play a game when we were kids. Somebody sits in a big chair. You know, you, you, you fit the dust cover over him and, and nobody can tell he's sitting there. Don't you see, Judith? That's how we can hide Markham's body. It might work if there's time. There's got to be time. Take the big cover off that chair, the wing chair. All right. Maybe there's a chance. I'll fit him into it. Arms along the chair arms. Feet push back. Now... Put the cover back again and and pull it round down his feet.
10: Don't let it touch his chest. The blood will show through. There,
2: that's got it. You can't see anything now, can you?
10: No, but Ron. Well? What did you do with the gun? The gun? The gun you shot Markham with. Oh,
2: Judith, I put it down on the floor when I picked up his body. Out in the other room? Yes, yes, I'm afraid so. Uh, And it's too late now, Judith. The police are here. What are you going to say? I, I don't know. Trust your wits and try and brazen it out. Yes? Come in.
9: Good evening, Miss Ray. And good evening, Mr. Gilbert.
10: Charles Markham? You're Charles Markham?
9: Correct, Miss Ray. But why should that surprise you? Why do you look as though you were seeing a ghost?
10: Because we are seeing a ghost. If you're Charles Markham, whose body is...
9: Judith, be careful. Buddy, Miss Ray. Did you say buddy?
2: Miss Ray's upset. She doesn't know what she's talking about. If you killed me, I should be back to haunt you within half an hour. That's what he said. I tell you, Miss Ray's in herself. She, she, she had bad news today. A relative of hers died. I, I, I've been trying to make her feel better. Indeed. Do you think uh,
9: it would make her feel better to bring her here?
2: I, I don't understand. My dear
9: sir, you are very welcome. But the situation is surely a little odd. I come in here... And find you two looking as guilty as a pair of murderers if in my private office in the middle of the night. There's nothing odd about that. I, I wanted to buy did something. It's one o'clock in the morning. Yes. Why not? Well, may I ask how you managed to get in? The front door was open. We just walked in. If you wish to buy something, why not stay in the showroom? Why come to my office?
2: Well, hang it all. You don't think I, we, we wanted to steal anything, do you? Well,
9: that thought did occur to me. You see, there was nobody else here.
2: There's
10: nobody here, Mr. Markham. Not a living soul.
9: Then you didn't meet, by any chance, my brother?
10: Your... your brother? Yes,
9: my brother Robert. You couldn't have mistaken him if you had seen him. He looks so much like me that few people can tell us apart.
10: Oh, so that's it.
9: Poor Robert often deputizes for me. He's learned to act like me, think like me, and talk like me. But he doesn't like the work very much. Of course you know what my work really is. Is is this part of the game? Are you are you trying to play cat and mouse? Robert with it? is an idealist. He thinks poor fellow that my profession is beneath contempt. But he acts the part and acts it well because I pay him. And I find it useful to have a double who will run risks for me. What have you done with his body?
2: We we haven't done anything with him.
9: If you've killed Robert, my friend, you've committed a totally useless murder. You don't see him here, do you? No, but I see his handiwork. Meaning what? I've warned him many times about throwing a knife down on a polished desktop. Those scratches on the desk are fresh scratches. Of course, if you give me your word of honor that he's not here... Of course he, he's not here. Well, in that case, all we can do is sit down and make ourselves comfortable. Will you sit there, Mr. Gilbert, and you, Miss Ray, uh, in that wing chair by the window? What's wrong, Miss Ray? Why don't you sit down?
10: Because I... I prefer to stand, thank you.
9: Then perhaps you won't mind if I sit in the wing chair. It's a very comfortable one. My brother always says... Don't,
10: don't... sit down there for the life. Oh.
9: <laughs> so that's it? Yes. That's it. It is rather a thick chair. I press against the dust cover and blood comes through.
2: I lift the bottom of the dust cover and... What's the use of going on with this? I killed him. You admit that? Yes, I admit it. But Judith had nothing to do with this. I swear she hadn't.
9: My telephone, you notice, is against the wall. I shall have to turn my back to you when I ring.
10: Ring? Where?
9: Bigmore Street Police Station.
10: Oh, no. Give him a chance. Please give him a chance.
9: Hello? Hello,
2: operator. I want Regent 0586.
10: Yes, I won't sir. let them take you on. I
5: won't.
2: Six. It's no good, Judith. I killed a man. I meant to kill him. That's all there is to it. A very sensible attitude, my friend. And if the
9: lady has any idea of flying at me with that knife, just notice what I've got here. A thirty-two revolver. One chamber fired. Picked up of the floor in that room where... Hello. Uh...
10: Hello, Wickmore Street
5: Police Station. For the
10: last Hello. time, Mr. Markham. Won't you give him a chance?
9: Be quiet, Miss Ray. May I speak to Inspector Ross, please?
5: Inspector Ross speaking. Oh,
10: isn't that Mr. Markham?
9: got it in one, Inspector. Uh. Charles Markham here. I understand you were going to drop in and see me tonight.
5: Well, I intended to, Mr. Markham, but
9: I'm afraid I can't make it now. Oh, why not? Anything wrong? Only oh, a robbery in
5: Davies Street, but it's likely to be a long job. Sorry I
9: can't get there. Well, that's perfectly all right, Inspector, because actually I <laughs> rang up to make sure you wouldn't come here tonight. You see, I've got a lot of work to do, and I'm leaving for Eastbourne early tomorrow morning. Let's make it some other time, shall we?
5: Oh, glad you, Mr. No crime's
9: being committed up your way, I suppose. No, Inspector. It's as quiet as a grave. I've never known a more peaceful night. Goodbye.
10: Why did you do that?
9: Now, please, don't excite yourself, Miss Ray. Didn't you hear what I told the Inspector?
10: Yes, but is this some more trickery?
9: Trickery? How can it be?
10: I don't know. That's what I'm asking you.
9: I should call it generous when I let my poor brother's death go event. You're
10: not doing this without a reason.
9: Naturally not. But has it occurred to you, either of you, that it... I might not want my business dealings revealed in court. What are you driving at? And has it also occurred to you that a man's double who looks exactly like him and shares all his secrets may become a danger rather than an asset? He knows too much. He wants too much. And so...
10: I think I understand. You're glad he's dead.
9: Not glad, my dear. You shocked my brotherly feelings, but definitely relieved.
2: Look here, you can't get away with this.
9: Get away with it, sir. Aren't you forgetting that you are the murderer?
2: Then what are you going to do?
9: It is very simple. We three, in an unholy partnership, will dispose of Robert's body.
2: Or would you rather hang?
10: He's got us, wrong. There's no other way. But how
2: can we dispose of the body? This seems worse than killing him. It's filthy, cold-blooded, practical necessity.
9: And as for disposing of the body, nothing is easier. We shall simply gather the And so, as I said before, this is the story of a man who commits murder and gets away with it. Now, Ronald Gilbert looks back across the years and is still firmly convinced of his own guilt. But, of course, Gilbert never shot anybody. I was the man who committed the murder. Don't you remember? The bullet that killed my brother is supposed to have passed through his body and smashed the face of the grandfather clock. But that's an impossibility. The face of a grandfather clock is much higher than the heart of a man. You see, two shots were fired at the very same instant. Gilbert missed and smashed the clock face. I fired from the door of the office and did not miss. That was why my brother looked past those two. I went out by the back door, locked it, and reappeared at the front afterwards. It was not Robert Markham who died. I am Robert Markham. It was Charles who died that night. And I killed him to stop forever the wholesale blackmail that was poisoning the lives and blasting the hearts of a thousand half-crazed people. His records I destroyed, his correspondence I burned. He is dead and gone. I have assumed his name and identity ever since. I committed a murder. And yet, if you sat on a jury, dare you say that you would condemn me? Come now, would you?
6: And so closes Mr. Markham, Antique Dealer, starring Paul Lucas with Heather Angel and Bramwell Fletcher.
1: Half an hour on the radio lends itself especially well to the short story. And there are many in our favorite story lists which are among the best. On this series, you may hear the great short stories of Kipling, Stevenson, Barry, Edgar Allan Poe, all masters of this form of storytelling. And if we had a marquee in front of our favorite story theater, we might have its lights blazing to announce what many have called the greatest short story ever written, The Necklace by Guy de Maupassant. Out at metro goldwyn mayer Studios, Miss Greer Garson told us that she loves all the stories of this distinguished French author, but the necklace is her particular choice. As Mathilde Loisel, we present a splendid actress, Heather Angel, whom you'll remember on the screen in the Academy Award-winning production of The Informer. Co-starred with Miss Angel is the accomplished actor, Hans Conried, whom you've heard on many favorite stories. Here they are in Greer Garson's favorite story, Act One.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it odd,
10: Mathilde, <laughs> that you and I have been in Paris together for three years and never met? Not at a single party? Well, I, I don't go to many parties, Madame Forestier. Madame Forestier, indeed. Come now, I must be Catherine, as in the old days at school, and you will always be Mathilde. Are you happily married? Yes, quite. You said your husband had a government position, Mathilde, in the Ministry of Education. Oh, no, that is strange. I know almost all of the directors in the ministry, but I don't recall a monsieur loiselle. Oh, well, my husband isn't a director.
2: Oh?
10: He's a clerk. Nothing but a poor, underpaid clerk. Oh, there's no sense in trying to pretend, Catherine. I I don't belong in your world. I I shouldn't even try to peek in the window to look at the splendor and the elegance that you have all around you. uh, I'd better leave. No, stay, Mathilde. Don't be kind to me. You have your servants and your carriages, your dinner parties to attend to. Don't bother about me. Mathilde. Do you think I would cut short our friendship because your husband is a clerk? Oh, I don't oh, know. Sit down, my dear. Tell me, are you very unhappy? Oh, Katrina, I cannot endure the life that I have to go through. The dirty walls, the worn-out chairs, and the ugly curtains. Katrine, I was born for a house like this. High ceilings and tapestries and crisp, clean linen. And footmen in knee breeches. Oh, Mathilde, even tapestries get dirty. And footmen are a nuisance. You have all these things. They're yours. But tell me, have you ever had to haggle with the butcher over pennies? Or wear the same shoes until the leather fell apart? Have you? Well, things will change. For the worse, no doubt. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm a spoiled child. I shouldn't have come to see you, Catherine. It only makes going back all the harder... I'll not come again. If there's anything I can ever do for you... You You're very kind. Goodbye, Ketchy.
5: Mathilde. Mathilde,
11: I'm
5: home.
10: Mathilde.
11: Oh, Mathilde, what's the trouble?
10: Oh, Nothing. Nothing, really.
11: Were you crying because the mailman didn't bring you the moon?
10: (laughs) You're laughing at me.
11: I'm not laughing. What happened today to make you sad?
10: I went to see my old school friend, Madame Forestier. Oh. Pierre, this afternoon I've been with people who live. Then I come back to this hovel and I die again.
11: Mathilde, count your blessings.
10: My blessings.
11: Our house is warm. Our food is good. We are in debt to no one. If we are not the richest people in the world, we're not the poorest either.
10: What a sheep you are, Pierre.
11: If I am a sheep, it was not my choice. That is what they made of me. And remember, a sheep can love as well as a tiger. Is that not so?
10: I'm ashamed, Pierre. You are good, and you know I love you. Oh,
11: what's the matter with me? You and your tears have made me forget all about it. You want some gay living, Mathilde? Here is our passport to the brightest evening we've ever spent together. Sure. What? Well, open it, open it. I will wait there's something in that envelope to cheer you up.
10: Go on, read it.
5: <laughs>
10: the Minister of Education requests the pleasure of the company of Monsieur and Madame Loiselle at a ball to be given at the Ministry on Monday night. Well,
11: I had a great difficulty getting that invitation. It's very selective. Only a few of them go to the clerks. But think of it, Matisse. You will see all of the really big people. We don't have a chance to go out often, my darling, and I... What's the matter?
10: What do you expect me to wear to this great occasion?
11: Oh, is there anything wrong with the dress you wear to the theatre? It always looks very nice to me. I couldn't
10: wear that shabby little rag to a real ball, where all the director's wives will be dressed in silks and velvet.
11: Oh, I hadn't thought about that,
10: There's nothing so humiliating as looking poor in the middle of lots of rich women. No, Pierre. I'd rather not go. Oh,
11: Mathilde.
10: Give the invitation to some of your... friends whose wife has the proper clothes for such affairs.
11: Look here, Mathilde. How much would it cost? A dress? Uh, Something that would be suitable for the ball, but which you could wear also on other occasions. Uh, Something very simple... How much would it cost?
10: Oh, I... I I don't know exactly. Well, I I think I could do it on 400 francs.
11: So much? Merely for a dress?
10: It must be stylish. You don't want to be ashamed of me.
11: 400 francs is a great deal of money. Would it make you happy, Mathilde?
10: I shall be the happiest woman at the ball. Very
11: well. But try to get a really nice dress for the money. Uh, shall I uncover my eyes now? Yes. Oh, oh. no, no,
10: no! Oh. Wait <laughs> till I get this hem. There. Now you can look at me. Oh,
11: why? Well, this cannot be, Mademoiselle. <laughs> wife of that poor clerk <laughs> in the Ministry of Education. Well, this <laughs> will be some duchess, or a princess, or
10: a queen. She looks to be worth a million francs. Oh no, she looks to be worth nothing.
11: How can you say that? Not even the minister's wife will look as radiant as my Mathilde.
10: What shall I wear for jewels?
11: Huh? Jewels? Who notices such things? Everyone.
10: I dare not go to the ball without a single piece of jewelry.
11: Mathilde, I don't think that I can afford such.
10: I know. Huh? I know where I can get some jewels.
11: Will you pluck them from a diamond tree in the public park?
10: No, Pierre. I'm going out to make a call. I'll be back in an hour or sooner. <laughs> my dear. Oh, Katrine, I hate to impose on you, but but this is such an important ball and, and I've no jewels to wear. Oh, may I take any one of these? Yes, several, if you like. These pearls. No, no, I don't think they blend with my complexion. Oh, what is that in the black satin case? Mm, a necklace. May I see it? I don't know why not. Oh, a diamond necklace. I'd never seen anything so so cold and so warm. What will they say when they see me at the ball with this about my neck? Oh, may I borrow a catine, please? Just the diamond necklace. Of course. Wear it with grace, Mathilde, for I shall be looking for you at the ball.
5: De Rigue, Madame and Monsieur Forestier, oh. le comte Guivre and la comtesse
6: de Guivre, the baron du bois, Madame and
5: Monsieur Loiselle,
11: Madame Loiselle. I have the pleasure of the first dance with you.
10: But yes, Monsieur Loiselle, I shall be honest. They're all watching us. Everyone, they're looking at us.
11: No, Mathilde, they're
4: looking at you. Uh, Madame Forestier. Yes? Who's that enchanting creature dancing with one of my clerks?
11: Where? Oh, the girl with the diamond necklace,
10: monsieur.
4: I must know her name.
10: She is Mathilde
5: Loiselle.
10: Are you enjoying yourself, Monsieur Loisel?
11: Yes, madame, but I'm not used to these late hours. I must be at my desk in the ministry at eight, you know.
10: Your wife is making a score of conquests. Is she? (laughs) Well, that was her third dance with our host, the
5: minister.
11: Do you think she is having a good time?
5: I'm sure of it. Well,
11: that is all that matters.
10: I shouldn't have taken the cab here. You know that.
11: Why, it's only a few more francs. We may as well finish off the evening. in grand style.
10: Do you know I can't believe it. This has been the most glorious night of my life. Mathilde. Yes? Where is it? Where is what?
11: The necklace. Oh, you put it away in your bag. It's very wise.
10: No, I didn't.
11: It's not around your neck
10: must have slipped off. It's in the folds of my cloak.
11: Well, look for it.
10: Pierre, it's not here. I haven't got it.
11: You were wearing it when you left the ballroom, I remember.
10: Perhaps it's on the floor of the cab, or or here in the cushions.
11: No, nothing.
10: It's gone. I've lost it.
11: It's gone. Driver, turn around at once. Take us back to the Ministry of Education as fast as you can. We must find the necklace.
1: Borrow something of great value and you always worry about the possibility of losing it. Well, that's the tragedy which faces Pierre and Mathilde in the second act of Greer Garson's favorite story, The Necklace. Mathilde has had a glorious evening at the ball until she suddenly finds that her borrowed necklace is missing. Frantically, the couple rush back to the deserted ministry.
6: Pierre! Did you find it?
10: No. I was just remembering... I couldn't have lost it here on the stairs. I remember touching it with my fingertips as we came down together.
11: Well, I've searched every inch of the ballroom. I've looked in the cushions of every chair.
10: But a diamond necklace cannot disappear, dissolve into nothingness.
11: It is getting light now. I shall go over the ground. We walked.
10: What will happen if we do not find it, Pierre?
11: You'd better go home. Try to sleep. I will come home when I have news.
10: you you, you, you fun
11: I'm sorry, Matilda.
10: Where have you been all day?
11: Searching, looking in gutters along curbstones, scratching in cracks of the pavement, pawing through piles of refuse. Nothing.
10: I ripped every thread out of my new dress. I, I thought the diamonds might have slipped into the hem or the lining.
11: Nothing. We must have more time. More time. Go to your friend, Madame Forestier. Tell her that you can't return the necklace right away.
10: I say the clasp
11: was broken. And you took it to a jeweler to be repaired. Yes, that'll give us a few days more, and we can advertise in the newspapers.
10: Lost. A diamond necklace in the vicinity of the Ministry of Education on Monday evening. Reward, 1,000 francs.
11: I put that advertisement into three different papers.
10: But a thousand francs, Pierre. How can we afford to pay a reward of a thousand francs?
11: Mathilde, how can we afford to pay for a diamond necklace? Nothing? Nothing.
10: Oh, what are we going to do, Pierre? Pierre.
11: We must see about replacing the necklace.
5: Uh,
2: Let me see the case.
10: Here it is. Ah,
11: yes. This is from our establishment. We wish to replace the string of diamonds which came
2: in this case. Well, uh, can you describe it?
10: There was a, a silver clasp and the diamonds grew larger near the middle of the string. It was uh, there, on that velvet cloth. That string looks almost exactly like it. Uh, this string, madame?
2: Ah, madame has the true eye for beauty. This is our prize, the most beautiful necklace in our entire stock.
10: I think it's identical.
2: What is the Price of this diamond necklace, please. Uh, This necklace? A great bargain, monsieur. 36,000 francs.
10: Where can we raise 36,000 francs? It's a fortune, Pierre.
11: We can sell the furniture for a good price.
10: Shall we live in bare rooms, then?
11: There is no choice. The minister may give me an advance on my salary. It
10: is not enough. N-
11: not half enough. And the rest? I'll borrow it. Where? We have friends, Mathilde. I have the reputation of an honest man.
10: Our friends are not wealthy.
11: We'll have to mortgage everything. We must move to cheaper lodgings.
10: We will be in debt for years.
11: We've no choice.
10: There is a choice. I'll go to Madame Forestier and tell her what happened. She's rich. She has everything. Mathilde,
11: she lent the necklace to you in friendship, in confidence. We have a moral obligation.
10: Shall we sacrifice everything for a moral obligation? Yes.
11: We have very little, Mathilde. We may be poor, but we have the respect of every human being whose life we touch. The word, the signature of Pierre Loiselle is honored everywhere. I am not a cheat. If I am nothing else, I am an honest man.
10: And for your honesty, you are willing to pay such a price?
11: It may be all that shall remain to me, my honesty. But I cannot change. Even though we sell our very souls to the moneylenders, Mathilde, we must do the right thing, the honest thing. We must replace the necklace.
10: Catherine. Oh. Hello, Mathilde. You're bringing back my diamonds? Yes. Thank you for... Letting me wear them. You should have returned the necklace sooner. I might have needed
5: it.
11: Did Madame Forestier notice? Did she know there was a substitution?
10: She didn't even open the case.
11: Oh, good. Good. Now we must set to work repaying our debts. We must live in one room. Found a very reasonable place, Mathilde. On the street of the martyrs
10: the street of the martyrs.
11: Yeah.
10: I will return the party dress to the seamstress.
11: Oh, yes. I'm afraid there will be no more parties. No more compliments from ministers and barons.
10: No more waltzes in our lives. No more music.
11: At least until we've repaid the 36,000 francs.
10: And how long will that take? Five years?
11: Oh, no. More nearly ten. Ten? We must pay the interest as we go along, you know. Payments each month on our promissory notes will be more than my salary from the ministry. I shall have to get some work to do at night, bookkeeping, or copying. You can do laundry perhaps, Matilda. some housework a few days a week.
10: Pierre, I was born for...
11: How many people, Mathilde, are permitted to live the lives that they were born for?
4: Loiselle. that closes our account. Oh, shush, please. My wife
11: is sleeping. Oh,
4: I'm sorry. Well, it will seem strange not to be coming here any longer.
11: Uh, you've been our most regular caller for many years.
4: Let me think. Uh, you made your loan from us when my father had the business, I believe. That
11: is correct, monsieur.
4: My father's been dead for 11 years. And I
11: have been dead for 14.
4: You have been... Uh... I do not understand. Oh, a bad joke, my friend.
11: For 14 years, I have owed you money, you and a score of others, but it's all paid back now. 36,000 francs and as much again in interest. But it's paid. And Pierre Loisel is resurrected from the dead.
4: Well, you have been slow in meeting your obligations, monsieur. Very slow. But you have met them. And you are an honest man.
11: I thank you, sir. I thank you humbly.
4: Well, good night, sir. Remember me to your
11: wife. I will do, sir. I did not want to wake her. She's had a hard day. Oh,
4: uh, I think you made a mistake in your payment, Monsieur Loisel. Huh? You gave me one franc too much. Uh, this coin is yours. Mine? Good night, Monsieur Loisel.
11: This coin is mine. It belongs. To me, <laughs> but this, but this, we have one franc, one franc that is all our own. What, what, what is it? Look at what? it? Listen to it, Martin. Ours. Everything's paid. All the debts. Everything. For years, other people's money has lingered in our palms for a second or two and then travelled on. But this franc is ours.
10: But to spend as we like. Oh, it is for this that you wake me. Well,
11: h- how shall we spend it, my darling? It must be some something completely useless, completely vain. I know. Flowers, Matilde. Flowers for my charming wife.
10: What a fool you are! All flowers have died for me, long ago. Oh, do they have roses now, the color of ashes, to blend with my hair? One moment, madame.
5: Yes? How are you, Catherine? I don't know
10: you. I know you, Catherine. Fourteen years have scarcely changed you at all. You must be mistaken. I'm not mistaken. Please do not be embarrassed because an old scrub woman stops you in the street and speaks to you as a friend. Who can we? We were friends once, madame Forestier. We went to school together. dear lord. Is it Mathilde? Mathildeoiselle? Not really. Just a remnant. What's happened to you? Do you remember the ball at the Ministry of Education? Which ball? I... I go to so many. There was only one for me. The one for which I borrowed your diamond necklace. Oh, of course. I remember very well. I lost it. You... Oh, how could you? You brought it back. I brought you another necklace. Just like it. It cost 36,000 francs, Catherine. A large sum of money in my world. My husband and I gave up everything to pay the price of the replacement. We mortgaged our lives. I have the grit of other people's kitchens in my fingernails and in my knees the splinters from other people's floors. I, I've i worked hard and my husband has worked without rest, Catherine, for... 14 years to pay for your diamond necklace. But it's done. The money's paid. The books are closed.
5: Oh.
10: And now you know. My poor Mathilde. The necklace you borrowed was worth at the most a few hundred francs. It was made of paste. (laughs)
1: You've been listening to Heather Angel and Hans Conried in our favorite story dramatization of Guy de Maupassant's The Necklace. Did you suspect that The Necklace might be an imitation? Well, if you did, perhaps you already knew Monsieur de Maupassant's story and count it as one of your own favorites. Our thanks to all the members of the cast and to Claude Sweeton, who composed and conducted the Music
7: It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the Nerd Variety Talk Show with daily pop culture episodes.
5: The Riley and Kimmy Show.
6: Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at
1: RileyandKimmy.com.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.